when Jesus told the disciples shortly before he left that he was going to send them another comforter, he came back to reiterate that once again. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit who will cause you to remember all the things I've been teaching you. And then he said those words that Brad read with you. And in essence, they simply said this. My peace I'm giving to you. Not like the world gives you peace. Do I give you peace? And we have held on to those words ever since his leaving. Well, you see, in the midst of our believing as, as Christians and followers of the Christ, we struggle with this concept of peace. We want peace. We sometimes try to grab hold of peace. We often try to manufacture peace through our world, even though Jesus said that the peace that he came to bring us was not the peace that the world offered us. You know, the peace that comes from stuff, the peace that comes from having plenty of food on your table, the peace that comes from having harmonious relationships at our home, the peace that comes oftentimes when we have security, you know, the kind of peace that we get when we think we have it together so well that we're safe. Think about the two people who heard their numbers called in that mega, whatever they call it, last week. Now, they believe when they went, if they haven't, already, if they haven't yet gone, when they do go, and receive that check for whatever it is. What is it? Some gross number like $180 million. Or, you know, some little inconsequential kind of sum of money. So, you know, after all, it is just money, right? I know some of you are thinking, yeah, and you know, I could peaceably have accepted that. <laughs> and I could have taken that $100 million and I could have caused a lot of peace on the earth. You could have brought a lot of kind of peace on the earth with that money, but it would not have been the peace that Jesus meant to bring us. That kind of peace can't be bought. That kind of peace can't be manifested in any kind of way that is forever permanent upon this earthly life. For can all the money of the world add one extra day to your life? Can all the money in the world assure you that there will never be any discord in your relationships? Can all the money in the world secure you a place in heaven and life eternally? No, it can't do any of those things, can it? To fully grasp what Jesus is talking about, now being a good uh, a person joined, born and raised in the Jewish faith, he was talking about shalom when he was speaking at that time. Shalom, the Old Testament word for peace. Now when we think about shalom in the Old Testament, we kind of have to go back. Have to go back in time and pull up another passage of scripture. One that speaks to us about peace, especially this time of season. It comes from the prophet Isaiah in the ninth chapter when Isaiah revealed a prophecy to King Ahaz. And while he was speaking to King Ahaz and giving him this prophecy, it was immediate and pertaining to the content of Israel's situation at that time. But it was also much more than that. It was a pattern for what was going to come in the future. And it was not realized until many years later that it was even more than that. It was more than the nation of Israel. It was never going to be fully conceived and understood completely until the coming of the one who would bring about eternal peace, that one called the Christ. In the ninth chapter, the 
word of prophecy is revealed to, to King Ahaz when God said, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And he goes on to speak some other words to them about their day and age. And then he comes to a kind of a crescendo, if you will. And he talked about, then he says in verse 6, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Now this is fulfilling a previous prophecy spoke of in Isaiah whenever Jesus was talking to them Again, before this prophecy was read to light, spoken very clearly in Isaiah 7, 10, and 16, when God spoke and told King Ahaz, a child has been born for us, a son given to us, Emmanuel. It was Emmanuel prophecy. And here it is spoken again in Isaiah chapter 9. Now, that's important for us to hold into us because that sets the context for the meaning of Jesus talking about peace from the Shalom perspective even in the Gospel of John and other places as well. Now, as we think about that, let us think for a few moments about how important these words of peace are for not only for them but for us. This Prince of Peace is going to come to a land of deep darkness. Now, in the immediate context, there was the Assyrian conquest of the northern kingdom. That was a present reality for them. For us, I think we can't go there, but in our immediate context, can we not see darkness? Can we not see how even though the Prince of Peace has come, that all is not right in this world? For so often and so long, we saw our nation as this great place where equality was something often sought and cherished and where everyone had an opportunity to do well, where everyone had the opportunity to worship God as they chose, where everyone had the opportunity to live in a kind of a peaceful climate. And in many ways that has come true, but not completely, has it? It is not completely a reality. There are a lot of places where peace is not the everyday norm. There are places that people are living that are surrounded by a kind of darkness where peace is absent. You say, now, well, just what do you mean exactly? Okay, exactly. I mean, there are some homes where peace is not really prevalent and noticeable. You ever go to visit somebody and stay longer than you expected and wish that you'd have stayed less time there? Because really, even though you couldn't exactly put your finger on it, it, it just didn't feel harmonious. It didn't feel peaceful. Now, some of us are blessed. We've been raised in homes that were mostly peaceful. Now, no one is perfect in peace. I get that. There's always going to be an argument or disagreements or things like that. But some places are much less peaceful than that. Much less peaceful than that. In some homes, there is daily violence done to people emotionally, physically, 
sometimes even to the most vulnerable human beings on the face of the earth, even to children. And though they could not tell you with their words, you can see it in their eyes. They don't have peace. If peace is not their normal experience. There's not peace in many places across this world. There's kind of a corporate darkness that settles over us as well. For instance, there are nations where children die regularly from lack of a few morsels of food or diseases that are cured commonly and completely in some parts of the world, but not in theirs. There are places where there are rulers who are not controlled by a government in such a way that peace can reign for all, but rather sometimes very evil people are allowed to do unmentionable things, even to their own people in their own nations because of prejudices, because of religious hatred, because of simple desire to have everything for themselves. There is a darkness that is still in the land today, and you may be thinking, well, if that's so, I thought Jesus came to get rid of that. Coming back to that, hold on to that thought. It says, though, in the midst of that darkness, there's going to be a light. A light is going to shine in it. A light will make a difference in the places of darkness. The people who take the gifts that are out in the hall waiting to be delivered to a family, and some of you are going to volunteer to do that. I know you're going to do that. You're going to be blessed because you're going to see a little beam of light that's going to shine into a place of darkness where people are having to depend upon others to bless their children for this Christmas season. And when that, those families walk in there and give them that gift, they're going to represent the church of Jesus Christ. And they're going to offer a little bit of light into the darkness of that family. Will it make any difference? It absolutely will. Every little bit of light makes a difference. Every little bit of light that shines dispels some of the darkness that is around it. Every time that light comes into a place of darkness, the darkness cannot overwhelm it as long as the light continues to shine. Though the light might not be complete, it might not light up the whole world. It lights up that area around it. That's what we experience when we join together for the service of candlelighting. We get the physical reality of a real-world experience of how a little bit of light can spread and bring light to a much larger area. You see, light and dark can't reside in the same place together. That should be true in our own nation. And yet we know that darkness is creeping over our land. It seems to happen every time that populations and nations are formed as they grow older they seem to struggle more with purity and with the ideals they were formed upon now there's a greater greater and greater gulf between those who are rich and between those who are struggling there's a very small decreasing the number of people who live what we had so much of our country living in that middle class of america so many years ago that's becoming a vanishing breed what has happened so that darkness has overcome the light of where everyone was prospering. I don't have the answers to that. If I did, I'd be very much in demand, except to say that we have it to overcome. We have it to overcome. Much darkness remains. But that doesn't mean that the Prince of Peace has not come, and it does not mean that the Prince of Peace has not brought light into darkness. You see, with the coming of the Prince of Peace comes a possibility 
of peace. And when it is received, it becomes the possibility of being an eternal peace for that person that receives it. You see, when Christ came into the world and brought light, one of the ways that he brought light into the world, one of the ways he brought this peace was he made peace between humanity and God possible. He gave his own life that could not be bought to pay the price for sin. Without that, we would all be in darkness. This is maybe and perhaps the most difficult concept to share lovingly to people who don't understand the Christian faith. In fact, I remember a young man as if his face is yesterday. It was in my first full-time appointment after seminary when I was so full of wisdom. I was so wise as the associate, so ready to bring light into all the dark places of the world. And I went to a family's home to visit him, and a guy had told me before I came, I have a question for you. And I didn't think that was a big thing. I just all of a sudden wondered if I've told this story already. If I have, you've probably forgotten it. If you haven't, you get to hear it again. Because it's so important for me, I remember it often. Because I was sitting in his home, this young man, this young woman, in their 20s. And he looked over at me and said, yeah, you won't join the church. I've never been baptized. Nope, never been baptized. Uh, uh, I said, well, what? you said you had a question. What question do you have? I'm ready. You know, I, I'm, I'm ready. I am so ready. And then he looked at me and he said, I don't get this being saved thing. I said, uh, you don't uh, get this being saved. What do you mean? He said, well, I've been going to church on and off during the whole time being raised in the military, traveling from one service to another. And I know about being good, and I know about doing the right thing, and, but I never could get an answer to this save thing. And he said, save from what? He said, nobody's ever been able to answer that for me. Can you answer that for me? And I felt kind of on the hot seat. I did. I was on the hot seat. This guy couldn't find Christ because he couldn't find the answer to one simple question. So I do what I've often done. I reverted to Scripture. Imagine that. Fresh out of seminary, I still knew the importance of the Bible. And I said to him, yeah, I think I can help you. I said, yeah, first of all, you have to understand God. God is so loving. He loves us all and wants none of us to perish. But... God is equally holy. And God's holiness cannot be compromised by his love, nor will his love allow his love to be compromised by his holiness. They fit perfectly together. And because God is so holy, God does not live in the presence of sin. Sin cannot stand the light of God. And the trouble with all of us is though we're pretty good people, like you said about yourself. You know, I occasionally go to church. I hadn't killed anybody. I've even helped somebody a time or two along the street. I'm a pretty good person. What's God got against me? God has this against you. You're not as perfect as you were created to be. And he looked at me, and he said, tell me more. So I did. I basically went through the whole Bible in about 30 minutes, explaining to him the necessity of Jesus coming and doing for us what we could not do ourselves. Die for us, the perfect person who was blameless, who paid the penalty of all our sin, so that we might find peace with God. Until that came, there was our sin between us and God. And we were helpless in the face of it. Israel proved that over and over again, corporately and individually. 
even as individuals, we failed. But after I explained that to that young man, after we sat there and talked about that, I looked at him and I said, does that make sense to you? He said, yeah, it does now. I'm ready to do it. Let's do it. I said, okay, we will. And we did. But he had a question. And sometimes we have that same question. If Jesus came to bring us peace, why isn't there more peace around? Well, there's several reasons. There's multiple reasons. First of all, though, we have to accept the peace that we've been offered. We've been offered peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. But God will not coerce us to cause us to do it, to believe and have faith. God awaits for us to willingly give ourselves in faith to trust in Jesus for our peace with God. And when we do that, then the thing that is between us and God that we can never overcome ourselves is vanquished. Once and for all, broken down, destroyed. You say, wait a minute, that sounds like something I heard once before. If I get this right this one time, I got it right. If I get this sin forgiven, I'm going to be okay from now on. Well, you are accepting Methodist churches and similar to God churches and Arminian churches, holiness churches. You see, even after you believe and you've been forgiven, you have peace with God, there's still more peace to find with God. And if you say, I don't understand that, then you've never had children yet. Because with children comes this lesson over and over again. I look at my little angel grandchildren. Now I have, I can say children, I have two. I've got one that truly is an angel. She just sits there. She eats. She sleeps. Occasionally she cries not too loud. It's great. I love them when they're new. All you have to do is kind of clean them and feed them and, you know, it's great. And then there's her older brother who used to have that same image. <laughs> and now he's almost four. And he cannot control his little body very well. Especially when he gets near to his sister who's getting too much of the, in, of the attention in his mind. And he accidentally rocks her, almost capsizing the house in her bed. And I listen as his father threatens his life. <laughs> Don't touch that again. Because, you see, you can't say touch it gently. You can, but he'll go, okay. And then when you're not looking, whoo, he wants to give her a big swing, you know. All in love, sort of, and sort of not. You see, already he's jealous of that little girl that he wanted until she got here. You know, kind of like your husbands, you wanted them until you got them. <laughs> or that wife you thought you wanted until you got her. It does work both ways, you know. And, you know, you had peace. You said, I do, and I do, and you went home, and you're going to live happily ever after, and then came life. And one day you looked across there, and you went, who is that person I'm living with? And you looked for peace, and you had to find it again. The same thing happens with God. We're holy, we're forgiven, we're Christian, but then sin comes in our lives, and until we repent of that sin, that sin remains between us and God. Not the part where we're not forgiven and not going to heaven unless we continue there, but to the part where it's not the same. Ask my children who are grown now. Did you ever get daddy so mad that it was a while before he looked at you the same way? The answer would be yes, often, for one of them. Well, both of them. They had their moments. But it didn't mean I didn't love them. It just meant I didn't like them. It meant right now, if I grabbed them, I might not hug them gently. I might choke the life out of them. So I tried not to hug them too firmly. 
because they would so vex me. Now, in fairness, I saw them look at me a few times, and I'm so thankful, thankful that they did not say what they were thinking because they were looking at me like, oh, you, you, you parent. I knew what they were thinking, and usually I would help them by saying, you better not say it. And most of the time they didn't, at least the oldest one. That's the same way it is with us, God, now. We're forgiven. We're his children. But every now and then something comes between us and God, and we don't want to have peace more than we want to have that thing, that something that's standing between us and God. And that's when we have to pray again. We have to seek God's forgiveness again. We have to wait for God to clean it up again so that the full harmony that we want will be there. And it's an ongoing process over and over again in our lives until the end of the world and we die and go to heaven. And then it's perfect and complete. Or until Jesus returns to the earth as he promised he would. And then we'll have perfect peace even on earth. Now, I'm kind of convinced that's probably going to happen before I die. Not because of any biblical reference, but simply because I can't imagine a world without me. I mean, don't you feel the same way? When you look in the mirror, you go, how can this world get along without me? God must be coming back. You know, now, unfortunately, a lot of people have been thinking that for ages. And Jesus still has not returned to claim earth fully. But that time of his kingdom coming is aware. Now, let's go forward to John 14, 25 and 27. Away from this shalom that we're talking about. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you shalom. It's a kind of well-being that does not depend on my circumstances and with that, I want to say Christians. It's the same meaning of the word irene in Greek. And when you see irene in Greek in the New Testament, it means basically the same thing. It means this sense of well-being, that was wholeness, that shalom was so uh, in just full of, rich in. It means peace with God in the New Testament. And so that's why peace begins on earth with us because Jesus has already come as the Prince of Peace and made it possible. But we have to receive it before it's a reality. So now let's rehearse what Jesus said again. Not as the world gives do I give to you because my peace is not circumstantial. That's what I meant when I'm at peace with the offering. You're not going to ruin my peace by not giving your money. Hang on to it if you want to. That's between you and God, not me and you. It is not circumstantial. I'm not going to allow my peace to be determined by things that are going on in my world. As I told one congregation a long time ago, I think I've told every congregation. I don't remember if I told this one yet or not. And I'm, I'm, I know I must be getting older because I can't remember that. But I always tell the congregations, you may not like me, and I understand that. And in fact, at some level, I'm okay with that. I didn't come here to be liked. Maybe you'll love me, maybe you won't, but I came here to serve God. And I know that God and my mother still loves me. <laughs> Even if you call the DS and say, get that guy out of there, I can go home to mama and say, you know what they did? And she said, no, but they shouldn't have done it. <laughs> because she's my mama. She's 88, almost 89. And she's convinced me that I will always be loved by her. I will not let my peace be interrupted by circumstances. You know how many times I have to say that in the face of death of someone I love and care about in congregations? It's been a lot of years and a lot of funerals in the life of a pastor. And perhaps that might be sometimes the greatest burden we bear 
is burying people that we love and sometimes in untimely ways. But you know what? If you don't make up your mind that the peace that God has given you in Christ is greater than your circumstances, then something terrible can happen to you and possibly will. You may have a divorce. You may lose a job and not be able to find one for months and have to depend on others. You may lose your health. You may be stumbling around in life because everything's not perfect. You may be in a marriage that is trying more than it's helpful. You may be struggling and struggling and struggling in this world. And if you do not rehearse and remember that your peace is not circumstantial, circumstantial, you will live like everybody else and look like everybody else in the world, especially when you grieve. I have working and working hard at not grieving as other people grieve. Those who have Christ should not grieve as people who do not. And so when my blessed mother goes, and I know that its numbers hold true, I'm probably going to live long enough that I'll have to stand at her side. But I will not grieve as a person who's not had a mother that loved him for almost 89 years now. I won't do that. I will grieve as a person that knows she's with Jesus, thanking God for all the beautiful years she had here. I will not grieve even if something terrible happens to one of my children as one who does not know Christ because my children will be with me eternally. And I will grieve in that same way. I will not accept what the rest of the world tells me about death. I only accept about death what the Lord Jesus Christ told me. He said, I will live forever. And that brings me peace. And when I stand at the bedside of those who are struggling with death, still wanting to hold on because they have people they care about and they want to care for, I get that. But I also want to see in their eyes That confidence that comes from the peace that knows that today is the last day of my life. Do not grieve for me as those who have no hope. For we will be together again. Jesus said, I do not give you peace as the world gives you because my peace is not circumstantial. My peace is also not based on your abilities to earn a living, to make a lot of money, to be smart or intelligent, to be handsome or beautiful, to be athletic or real, or to be politically savvy and become leader of your whole company. That is not the peace that Jesus came to give. Jesus came to give you a peace that your ability cannot buy, so forget it. Forget it. It is not based on your abilities. It is based upon (laughs) that wonderful counselor. That mighty God, that Prince of Peace, who paid the price for your salvation. And finally, this peace is not transitory and it's not temporary, it's eternal. And so is his corresponding hope. So don't bring me your hopeless moments, except when you want me to encourage you. Because I will never seek out of despair over your situation. I will try to offer you hope. I will try to be helpful so that you can become hopeful again. I will love you and I will be gentle with you. But I will not accept hopelessness among the children of God. For where God is, there is always the peace of hope. Now I want to change and close. Because if I don't, I'm not going to stop. God desires change in our lives. You know, and 
transformation is continuous. And sometimes the Christmas season seems to be ferment, a place of fermentation so that that desire for change starts welling up inside us. Early leading up to Christmas and through the beginning of the year, we're often talk, thinking about change in our lives. If you are waiting for God to swoop down and to make your earthly life perfect, quit it. Quit it. God is not the eternal fixer to come down here and make your life perfect on earth. Now, you may have had a pastor who mistakenly taught you that was true. That pastor was wrong. I humbly submit to you that's the truth. Now, when they come back, you can believe it their way. But as long as I'm here, please don't do that. I've got millions of references to show you of people who love God, and yet everything is not perfect in their lives. Perfection only comes when Jesus returns, my friends, or when we die. So stop waiting for that magic to happen in your life and live faithfully. And that peace you're seeking and that life of joy you're seeking will come to you. And you will help make it happen by cooperating with the Spirit of God. Because you see, when Jesus came, he left us with the Holy Spirit. And so if we accept that peace that comes, the Holy Spirit dwells with us and he gives us peace as a fruit of his presence. You may be saying, well, I'm sure missing out because I don't have much peace. Whose fault is that? Quit depending on yourself. Quit depending on your circumstances for heaven's sake and for your sake. And accept the peace that God gives you. And God will allow you to sit down in the face of a traffic jam and get out of it. That's what God does. He tells you to make a change. Yesterday, I was sitting in line at the mall. Every fool in the world plus me were at the mall. I always do it, and I did it again. I had one or two things to look for. Stonebriar Mall is huge, and I parked at the wrong end always. I got my exercise. I was working up a sweat, and the crowds were parting as I was walking down through there. And I was saying, this isn't so bad. This isn't so bad. This isn't so bad because they're all moving. Then I went into a store, and I was afraid I'd find something I wanted because then I'd have to stand in that line that wasn't moving. They were all standing at the cash register waiting for their turn. And even in the line, to just, I was going to do valet parking. That's smart, right? I don't have to walk half a mile to get to the store where I can spend my money. So I got in the valet line, and I sat there. That thing wasn't moving. I sat there 10, 12 minutes, and nobody moved. And a sudden thought came to me, if you're waiting for somebody to find you a parking place and give you a free ride, it isn't going to happen. <laughs> I pulled out from that line. I drove around the corner. I went to a place where I never go. I started pulling into a line, and two cars down, two cars down from the very end, there were cars everywhere searching the roads. I pulled into the lane, two cars down, up from me, right by the front of the store. In the misting rain, taillights blinked. I said, oh, they got a parking place for Doug. Right here close. And they did. But if I'd have been waiting in that line, I don't think I'd have been there yet. I had to do something to receive the peace of a parking place. Trust me. Many times in life, you're going to have to do something to receive the gift that God wants to give you. You can't just sit down and whine on the steps of Babylon and get all you need. 
you have to return to Jerusalem and rebuild. I'm through preaching now. I'm kind of tired too. So I think I'll just stop. I should have something to say to end this. I think I do. It's right here. It's Christmas. Christ is coming afresh. We're going to remember it again. We're going to remember Handel's Messiah. If you don't know some of those songs that Handel's Messiah, I'm so sad for you. Because one of them is so cool. Remember the song? I should have David. Should we have David get him singing for us? Just a quick run through of Messiah. Remember the part in Handel's Messiah when it sings, Wonderful, Counselor, Almighty God, Prince of Peace. Wow. If you don't enjoy that during Christmas, there's something wrong with you. But I tell you what, if there is, we have a rail right here for you. If you don't know the Prince of Peace is coming again for you to remind you that he's brought you peace, come right down here at this place where we sing the last song and pray. If you've never met the Prince of Peace, come right down here and we'll introduce you to Jesus Christ today, this morning. If you're here and you know who Jesus is, but you're having trouble keeping contact with him because you're trying to do it out there by yourself in the world without the help of a church, you don't have to be alone. We're right here. We have a few seats left. We'll sell you one today won't cost you anything except your willingness to come and be a part of this church. We'd love to meet you. Christ would love to meet you. And if you've got any little thing going on that needs to be settled, just come down here and settle it with God. So peace can be yours this Christmas.